Uh, let's see. Let's start then. Uh, this is the Let's Go Eat Show. Hi, my name is Bill Allred, and uh, we're recording once again at The Daily in downtown Salt Lake on uh, Main Street, 222 South Main. Uh, the Let's Go Eat Show, I actually did eat. I had an egg salad sandwich. Absolutely delicious egg salad sandwich. A decadent egg salad sandwich. And what makes an egg salad sandwich decadent? Well, it's on white bread, soft white bread. They butter the bread, and then they put the egg salad on it. Ah, delicious. Uh, anyway, we're here, though, to talk about the mayor race, and uh, we're going to talk to uh, Mr. Garbett, da- David Garbett. Uh, hi, nice to meet you. Bill, a pleasure to be here. Um, we'll uh, ask you may- basically the same questions we've been asking all of the mayoral candidates, and uh, y- you you all, all of you that I have spoken to on the microphone, uh, are uh, exceptional people, I would say. Your, your opponents are all s- exceptional opponents uh, in the mayor's race. Uh, w- comment on that, if you would. I, I agree with you. It's a crowded field. I think we've made the decision hard for voters, mm-hmm. and hats off to my opponents. They are all capable, qualified people putting together serious campaigns. Salt Lake almost can't lose, I think. Uh, unfortunately, some uh, four, four or five of you, six of you are going to have to lose, and then seven of you ultimately are going to have to lose. Um, so let's talk a little bit about who David Garbett is before I ask you uh, why you want to be mayor. Uh, you're, you have a famous name. I assume it's associated with the home building uh, name, right? Right. My father started Garbett Homes. I grew up working with him, you know, summers as a teenager sweeping construction sites, mm-hmm. which I hated. Yep. Uh, terrible job. Moved from that to finish carpentry, did real estate for him. And then I left uh, after college to go to law school, came back and worked with uh, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance for 10 years, spent a year and a half as the executive director of a nonprofit focused on homelessness and public safety. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this November, when I left that job, went back to work with my dad at Garbett Homes. Really so. doing doing what for him? Still sweeping and uh, <laughs> sweeping up, straightening nails, <laughs> things like that. I, I could only be so lucky. Yeah. Uh, clean uh, clean the nails out of that lumber, yeah, will you, David? Exactly. Yeah. Pull okay, the lo- pull the nails out of the lumber and then straighten them because yep. we'll use them again sometime. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, in what capacity are you? Were you working for your dad most recently? Now I'm helping him with different projects in the office. So, unfortunately, not straightening nails anymore. Yeah. Have you have you ever uh, practiced law? You have a, you finished got your law degree, and so have you practiced as a lawyer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. With uh, SUA. When I was there for 10 years. Uh, legal counsel uh-huh. to Southern Utah Wilderness One Alliance. of their attorneys. They have a few, and we spent time in court. We did a number of different things, mm-hmm. but part of that was litigating. Yeah. Uh, let me. Uh, this is kind of a, an odd question, and I w- uh, but I would assume, I think a lot of people would assume that somebody who's from the, your background would not be a liberal person. Uh, and you're smiling, you know what I mean. Uh, you come from a, 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 a sort of a privileged background in, in certain ways, and your, your father's been very successful, and you would not think of your father as being a liberal person, or, but, uh, but I don't know that. So how did that all come about, and are, your, are you and your father alike or different? Or? I hope that I'm similar to my father in many regards. Politically, we probably fall in slightly different places on the on the spectrum. But not too far. Uh, you know, I'd say I'm a little farther left. <laughs> yeah. I would I would classify him as a moderate. A moderate, yeah. Uh, that for me, this journey for me really started when I was about 12, 
and my father introduced me for the first time to public lands, introduced me to some of the remarkable wilderness of Utah. Actually, when I was 12, he took me on a trip down to what um, later became Bears Ears National Monument Mm -hmm. and blew my mind and really led me on this long journey of saying, we live in a remarkable place. I want to see it protected. Um, Made a lot of my formative decisions in life came from originally from that experience. Dad, if I'm a liberal, it's your fault. Sure. Yeah, I tell him that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why do you want to be mayor of, why does David Garbett want to be mayor of Salt Lake? For me, it's about my kids. I have two kids. I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter. And every year, my wife and I have the same discussion as we get into winter inversion season. Why are we here? Mm -hmm. Why are we exposing our kids to these lifelong health effects from being here? And rather than just throwing in the towel or moving, I thought, I want to try and do something about this. I mean, I spent my time at SUA. A big part of our work was trying to use air quality rules to stop bad projects. So I had this long time and this experience with what federal and state air quality rules look like, why I think we're not getting to clean air, and wanted to put my hat in the ring uh, for that reason and for uh, also, you know, honestly to do something about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, if Sometimes I say if people have a doubt about my, my political background and leanings, uh, I was the candidate that came in with the most aggressive plan for being a leader on climate change, mm-hmm. and I think it's an important thing for the next mayor. Is it? Is it? Uh, uh, can can this can a city uh, make a difference when it comes to climate change? Yeah, I mean, solving the problem worldwide, no. But that's the problem. Everybody that thinks about climate change thinks they can't make a difference, and so nobody does anything. Yeah, we true. all we all need to take action. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think that the city can do that for me gets me really excited is that I believe the next mayor can switch our entire electricity supply to 100% clean energy, do that in four years, 50% of our carbon footprint comes from the way we produce electricity. We have this really unique opportunity in Salt Lake in that two two years from now, we get to renegotiate with Rocky Mountain Power, the franchise agreement. This is a permission we the give. The state does. The or city does. The city So does. the city has a contract with them. Typically, it's a 20-year contract where we give them permission to run power lines on city property. They pay for it. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, that agreement is coming to an end here shortly. We get to renegotiate it. So it's the one time they come to us wanting something from the city. Mm -hmm. In that light, Rocky Mountain Power just this April put out a document saying, if we made this transition, if we closed four of our most expensive coal-fired power plants and went to clean energy, and we did it in this time frame that David's talking about, it would save ratepayers $250 million. Yeah, I've heard them talk about that. And and, and Rocky Mountain Power has pretty much said, we can get rid of coal-fired power plants. We, We can do it. We're working to do that. I think we need to be there helping them work a little faster. Sure. Um, uh, This leads us to talk a little bit about the inland port, probably. Uh, I've gained a better understanding of it talking to all the candidates. and everybody uh, that I've talked to so far seems to think that it's a, an economic tool that, that, that is probably a good thing as, a, as an economic tool. But uh, the way the state has uh, heavy, ham-fisted gotten, you know, planted themselves in it because they don't want to deal with air quality issues. The city wanted to approach it uh, with, a, with a more environmentally friendly uh, aspect and the state says, well, we don't have time for that. Let's just get it done. Is that accurate, do you think? 
Uh, well, I want to take a step back on that. I think it's a mistake for politicians to come in and say they know what good economic opportunity is. And that's how we get ourselves into trouble. Mm-hmm. When you have politicians who have no skin in the game, who have no track record of creating economic value, saying, I know the next big investment, that's when you create problems. Mm-hmm. So one of the huge, uh, in my mind, fundamental flaws of the Inland Port is that it's politicians pitching economic opportunity. That's not our job. We're not good at that. What we should be doing is saying, for those people who create economic opportunity, for those people that create jobs, we need to make sure that we have a city with good infrastructure. We need to make sure that we're a city that doesn't have air pollution, so you can actually attract and keep talent here. We need to make sure that we have a clear regulatory process and not overly burdensome taxes. That, I think, is our job. And if we have problems in our community, then we should try and incentivize solutions for that. We shouldn't be, with the Inland Port, incentivizing activities that will make problems worse. Mm. And in this case, air quality. Essentially, what the Inland Port is, is a 40-year tax uh, subsidy Mm -hmm. for companies that are coming here to make air quality worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, What can be done about that if you're the mayor of Salt Lake? Three things. One is to continue the lawsuits. Uh, I mean, again, this is my background. This is what I come from doing, litigating, Mm -hmm. challenging the federal government, challenging the state government on big things like this. So keep those lawsuits going. The second is, even during that, the mayor has to be up at the Capitol talking to legislators, talking to the Inland Port Board Authority about why this is a bad idea and solutions for how we get out of this mess. Which seems is not happening now. Uh, you know, I right. I think that was the biggest problem with the current administration is that they gave up on those conversations. Yeah. And then the, the third step, and I think this is the most important of all, is the community has to continue to raise its voice. They have to continue to complain. They even have to continue protesting. Now, in a nonviolent fashion, but all of those things should continue because they will change outcomes. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, sometimes I wonder, and you're preaching to the choir here when you're talking to me, uh, I, 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 I can't understand why the the it, it, the ignoring of the air quality continues, uh, and then the governor will say, and the legislature will say, oh no, we're making wonderful progress, we're making great progress, look, these particulates and that, and I've gone to the refineries and I've said this and I've done this, but it never seems to get any better. Uh, uh, why, why does this happen? So I think a big problem with air quality and the number one most important role for the next mayor is that we lack real leadership and real vision on how we get to clean air. I mean, it astounded me that I was an, when I was an attorney at SUA working on air quality issues that I couldn't tell you what the plan was to get to clean air. Mm-hmm. The reason I couldn't tell you is because it didn't exist. There was In contravention of federal law. And we've, we've put that off for a long time. And so the one state entity responsible for air quality issues, the Division of Air quality has something that I think would be, it's too generous to call it a plan, but basically their prediction for what will happen in the future. And what they say is that for air quality, we will make slight improvements here, but those improvements will come purely because of federal standards for cars and federal standards for furnaces and water heaters. Mm -hmm. And then the one area that they have oversight in, which is giving permits to very large polluting industry, they actually allow them to increase pollution over time. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that. That's ridiculous. Oh, yes, the one is. area we 
we're in charge of, we're actually letting mm-hmm. pollution increase. Mm-hmm. And that's, Salt Lake needs to counter that. And a lot of these leg- legislators, you know, I even want to give some of them the benefit of the doubt. I think they're just getting bad information and they're not be- being given a plan that shows them how we can get to clean air. And that's a hole that Salt Lake City can plug. Is, is this, I mean, uh, this is your, obviously your biggest issue, but I don't think you want to be a one issue uh, candidate for mayor. What are a couple of the other things that you're uh, most interested in? I'm interested in seeing the city do better on homelessness. Again, I've spent time working on this issue on the ground. I think that I've come in with the most uh, definitive plan about what the Salt Lake about what Salt Lake City can do to make improvements. Weren't you involved in the Pioneer front. Park Coalition? I was with the Pioneer Park Coalition here mm-hmm. in the Pioneer Park Rio Grande mm-hmm. neighborhood. You know, seeing so many of these issues firsthand, really getting an understanding of the dynamics of how we respond to homelessness and some of the things that we could do better. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, crime is also an issue. Uh, people are, I, I, I think people perceive that crime, although they, they perceive that it's worse than it probably is. Uh, but uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? One thing that I think is really important for the next mayor in addressing crime is, you know, we talk a lot about increasing police presence. And there are certainly some areas where we could use some additional police. But... I think that our communities, uh, the way that this, the city invests, invests in infrastructure is something that is underappreciated in how it addresses crime. So for example, Pioneer Park Rio Grande neighborhood, we have a huge public park. But that public park, instead of being a place to draw the public out into the community to get people on the street, is usually something that repels them. And when you have scenarios like that, you create the setting for more crime. Mm-hmm. We have little versions of this throughout the city. And we need to do things to make changes on places like North Temple on State Street. We have a lot of magnets there that attract bad behavior. And if the city would invest in some of those changes, if we had a State Street that people felt comfortable walking on and didn't feel like they had traffic buzzing right next to them, this would help make our city safer. Mm -hmm. So some of those investments in the long run will really help us to create a safer city. It's not just about policing. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Garbett is mayor of Salt Lake. And uh, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, says, I've got got a, I'm going to go do a rally in Salt Lake City. And so it's the mayor's job to go greet, by protocol, the president of the United States. Do you do that? Do you go meet him? Do you stay away? Or do you organize a protest against him? No way. I wouldn't agree to him. I would organize a protest against him. I am so disappointed with him. And... uh, I think there are many things to dislike about this president, but first and foremost, the fact that our country is separating families, putting kids in cages, I think is unacceptable. Anyone who's been part of that, I don't want anything to do with. Mm-hmm. I would not greet him. That's that's a pretty powerful statement for a mayor to make, I think. The say, that I, would, if you were the mayor, that would be a powerful statement. Yeah. Well, it's I, I told you I got in this race for my kids. I cannot imagine those parents who have had their kids taken away mm-hmm. from them, and that is just wrong. David Garbett will know on August 13th whether you and one other person are going to campaign your hearts out for, what, the November election. Um, uh, How do you feel about that? 
I'm really excited. Uh, the best we can tell is that this race is wide open. And sure if you're, seems like it. If you're listening to this and you are a Salt Lake voter, please vote. You will make a difference. I know we've made the job hard for you, but mm-hmm. uh, I would not be surprised if the difference between the person who comes in second and the person who comes in third mm-hmm. is less than 100 votes. You think? Oh, yeah. it's mm-hmm. going to be a close mm-hmm. race, and we know that there are a lot of people still trying to make up their mind. Mm-hmm. Um Please do vote because this will really, really make a difference. I'm going to give you one little piece of advice here. Say, please do vote for David Garbett. That's that's really what you need to be saying, David. (laughs) I accept that advice. Please do vote for David Garbett for mayor before August 13th. All right. right. It's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, uh, again, uh, an impressive conversation, a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Bill, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. And now we turn to uh, yet another, well, this is the, this will be the final um, piece in the mayoral, Salt Lake mayoral puzzle. The final person we'll, we, we will talk to. And uh, uh, as they say, we save the best for last. I was going to say it, but thank you for I, doing it. I knew you wanted to. Erin <laughs> <laughs> Mendenhall, who's running for uh, Salt Lake mayor. You, you've been on the council for how long? Six years. Six years on the city council. Two-termer. And as you, and what district do you represent? District 5, which like many districts has about 14 right angles, and I won't bore you with the details, but basically I-15, the ballpark, Liberty Park, 9th and 9th. East High School, and it notches its way up to 16th East for just a bit. Okay. Uh, and uh, so six six, uh, t- uh, six years on the council, two terms, and as you are there, you observe how things run or don't run, and that's why you want to be mayor. I think that it matters to have a mayor who actually knows how to govern this capital city. And that's the work I've been doing for the last six years. But I also think it's important that I have an air quality nonprofit background, and my foreground is still air quality. I currently chair our state air quality board, um, and it's the lens through which I see every issue that we talk about in this mm-hmm. campaign. Did you, you started Breathe Utah, didn't you? Yeah, I co-founded it about a decade ago. Um, and what, so are you from here originally? Uh, since I was seven years old. So you're essentially a Utah. Yeah, I moved to 9th and 9th when I was 17, and I've lived in a one-mile radius basically ever mm-hmm. since then. Uh, and uh, so uh, where did you come from? Arizona. Arizona? Yeah. So uh, air quality, that be- became, why did it, when did it become your big thing? Well, let me, because we touched on Arizona, I'll back up to tell you that mm-hmm. my father passed away. He was diagnosed with cancer when I was about six. Um traveled for Motorola internationally and wanted to travel less. So he got a job up here and that's what brought us to Utah. And he passed away when I was almost 14. Um, And I thought that was just in my genes and where I was headed. And uh, I turned 19 or so. I'm studying biology at the University of Utah. And I read a book called Living Downstream, written by a woman from the county my dad grew up in in Illinois, rural Illinois, writing about my dad's generation. He was born in 33. And this disproportionate rate of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he died of from exposure to DDT. And it changed the course of my life in terms of 
being really concerned and interested in the environmental choices we make, in the science that we rely on, in what we think is safe today and what we know isn't safe, but it's still in our society. And that really set me on the course of air quality work, policy work, and where I am today. Uh, and why did you decide to be on the city council? <laughs> the same thing? You know, like a lot of women in politics, uh, I don't think I'm unique that it took seven or eight people asking me to run for city council when the only woman on the council at the time, Jill Remington Love, had decided not to run again. She was the only woman 10 of her 12 years there. And a lot of people asked me to run, and I didn't see myself as a candidate until enough people asked. Mm -hmm. I'd been a nonprofit and a community organizer for years, and uh, I love Salt Lake City, so it turned out to be something I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay at doing. You can't be a one-issue mayor. You can't be, well, it's just, you know, it's just air quality. That's the only thing I'm, I'm interested in. What are some of the other things that make you want to be the mayor of yeah, Salt Lake? Yeah, absolutely. I want Salt Lake City to grow a tech ecosystem, and I've watched other cities around the country undertake a bold vision like that, partnering with the universities and the business community to say, look, this is the fastest growing industry in the state, highest paying jobs. We don't have a single world anchor tenant here in Salt Lake City except for Zions Bank. But we've got six unicorn companies, half a billion dollar companies between Draper and Lehigh. We need some of that business here. We know we have an out commute of that talent that wants to live in an urban setting but doesn't want to live in Draper and Lehigh. Uh, we should be growing that industry here. And that's something that I know how to do because of the time I've been in City Hall. And I have a vision to grow Salt Lake City in a way that serves our air quality goals. It serves our affordable housing needs. And it makes better jobs available to our residents. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it was Dick I was talking about this with that said we can't here in Salt Lake, we can't survive on fast food restaurants and apartment buildings and all of that stuff that's going Absolutely. out there on the so-called Silicon Slopes uh, in Draper and, and Lehigh. Uh, it's kind of a crime that it is, isn't in Salt Lake, isn't it? It absolutely is. And culturally, I think a lot of that talent wants to be here. So we should be aggressively undertaking that vision in partnership with the community that can make it happen. Well, and, and it hasn't happened because of bad leadership, you think? I don't, I don't know that I'd characterize it as bad, but it wasn't the vision for the leaders of uh, our mayor or past mayor. And that brings up a piece for me that is important and why I'm running, that we have had 12 years of past state representatives as mayors of our city. And I'll tell you, you know, Bill, that as a Democrat in Utah, going up on that hill is mm -hmm. a really unique skill set. <laughs> and I'm grateful for all yeah. of them that do that. But I think that running this city year-round, seven days a week, working in governance of the capital city is a different skill set than being a Democrat ultra minority on the Hill. Mm. And that's part of what I'm bringing here. But you have to, you also, uh, at the same time, have to have a relationship with that, yeah. that red that's right. band of uh, brothers up there on Capitol Hill. That's right. And I've had a lot of encouragement to pursue what I am in running for mayor. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I'm chair of the State Air Quality Board, and I co-chair another state commission. I know how to work with Republicans, Tea Party. <laughs> you get along with those guys okay? Sure. And I think unlike other candidates, I don't believe that we at some of uh, my fellow candidates have said they don't share our values I think that is absolutely untrue people I work with on the hill 
They want their kids to grow up here. I want my kids to grow up here. I want them to start and innovate businesses here. I want them to breathe healthy air. I want mm-hmm. them to be able to afford housing. These are values we share. Yeah, and, and, we, and we those, those Republicans from, feel the same way about it. Yeah, Exactly. When you start from a shared space, then you have a path to follow. When you start by saying, you don't have anything in common with me, we're not going anywhere. And I think we see that in the amount of bills or rather resolutions that some of the other candidates have passed or not. Mm-hmm. Any idea why, if if we have those shared values, why uh, that side, that more conservative side, seems to say, I want my kids to grow up here, but I'm not going to do really what I need to do about air quality. <laughs> why, yeah. why is that? The di- uh, I had this it's a disconnect. It's really weird. With a, a state-level Republican, and he would say that it's a disagreement in the process, the mm. way we want to go about it. I think that there are some priorities in between here and the clean air that rank very differently for mm-hmm. us as Democrats or Republicans or whatever in between. Um, you know, our, my priority is the environment. My priority is public health, public safety, and then being able to grow an economy that complements those needs. And I think the way the state would go about it would probably put economics ahead of the environment more, yeah. more often than not. That's why that happens. Right. But if we're not at that table, then they're leading that conversation. So talk a little bit about, and this also, this will play into air quality, but there are a lot of other issues surrounding the yeah. Inland Port, and I know you, everybody gets sick of talking about it, but... <laughs> it's the topic du jour. It really is. Campaign. I mean, it is the, uh, you know, trying to... Uh, I mean, I wonder, though, how many voters are really thinking about the Inland Port? I think that they are. Um, I think I've mentioned to you before, I feel like the Inland Port is a flashpoint for a decade of air quality angst that we've been carrying. And there hasn't been an issue that we can just get our hands around and shake like the Inland Port. And rightfully so. What the state did in taking away our land use authority could mean that today a private property owner in the Inland Port Authority area could come to the city and say, I want to put a refinery out here. And I can pretty much guarantee you the city would say absolutely not and at this point they could turn around to that inland port authority board make their pitch and they could say yes they might say yes and that that is absolutely worth us fighting for so it's right i think that we're as upset as we are but anger is not a strategy that works so i can hold my anger in my head in my mind and when i go to work for salt lake city that is not the strategy i take because we are not winning as we did, we lost when our mayor walked away last year in anger and left the state to take everything from us. That's why I turned it around and went back to negotiate. That was an odd move, I thought. I, I, I you know. Did as, you ever, have you ever had a chance to talk to her about that? Uh, not in a productive setting. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I'd love to meet her for coffee and hear all about it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, a, and and then just recently she wouldn't. There was gonna, there was supposed to be some kind of joint news conference yeah. or something, and. She, then she decided, no, I'm not going. You know what? I, I Obviously, I'm a woman. I'm environmentalist. I'm a Democrat. I represent parts of Salt Lake City. And we're in the state of Utah. I absolutely know from more than 10 years of working on these issues that uh, you can't not show up to a meeting because you don't like who's at the table. Mm -hmm. You can't not show up because you took it personally, what they said about you, and it got under your skin. You have a job to do as the mayor of Salt Lake City. No matter what that table looks like, if your city's on the line, you show up and you represent your city and you get everything you possibly can to help your residents. That's the job. I mean, if you you didn't show up 
at, to a meeting because you didn't like the people at the table, you'd never show up. That seems to be to the pattern a meeting here. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, uh, let's let's uh, touch on homelessness. Uh, you know, Salt Lake becomes the the sort of dumping ground for mm-hmm. homeless people from all over the state uh, because there aren't resources for them elsewhere. So they come here when they when they fall on hard times. Let's shift that and not call it a dumping ground, but a magnet of services and a place where people can get help mm-hmm. because it, that is what capital cities mostly across the country are. And I'm proud to have championed the women's only shelter that's going to be opening in a few weeks on Seventh South. That wasn't in the narrative. Uh, until I brought it in. And yet I am concerned to the point of action at this point. I can't wait to be mayor to be working on the possibility that the closure of the road home could leave dozens, if not hundreds of people without a safe place to sleep. Fewer beds, right? Right. When Mm -hmm. we reach that cap and we don't have an emergency overflow situation, that's not a gamble that I think anyone should be taking. So I'm working on that issue now with our state partners. What can uh, the city do about uh, making sure that there is some more affordable housing for people? Yeah, so that's been one of the biggest issues I've been working on. And the $21 million that I put together about two years ago through the Redevelopment Agency, half of that money has been partnered or leveraged with private investment to bring affordable units into developments that weren't con- they weren't thinking about it before or to gr- get more affordability out of what they were going to do. We've been able to cultivate uh, just over a thousand units and yet our need is about 7,500 more mm-hmm. units and so it's clear that the 10 million or so that we've invested from that 21 million um, needs to go the next 10 needs to go farther so we're already back at the table with development community with our housing partners to talk about how do we get m- even more out of these precious taxpayer dollars uh, because as the private market goes they are not going to meet that affordable need on their own and as the city goes we can't possibly fund, nor should we fund, every affordable unit all by ourselves. So we have to work together. We have to leverage our dollars smartly. And that's a conversation I've been doing for a long time. Was it... Was it a pretty steep learning curve for you when you got on the council? I mean, you were you were pretty well specialized in one area. Yeah. Uh, now it seems as though, and I've asked you about a wide range of things that you seem to have a pretty good grip on. Did it take you some time to get there? I was lucky to have the opportunity in my life to put full-time attention into being a council person. And it is a fire hose to drink of. That's kind of the term <laughs> council members use. And it can take you six to 12 months to feel like, oh, I actually, now I can think about what our tools are to influence this. Um, But I have loved it. I just sucked it up like a sponge and I was grateful to have the capacity in my life to become a professional city manager, city governor in the form of a councilwoman. I um, uh, Oh, by the way, I need to applaud whoever it was that answered the phone in your city council office. Uh, this uh, uh, guy answered. I, I don't know. Bobby? I don't know. I don't think that was his name, but I don't remember. But I started telling him what I was calling about and needed. And he said, well, uh, oh, oh, wait a minute. I can't talk to you about any of this. I said, what? He said, well, I can't talk to you about any campaign issues. That's right. And I went, oh, I get it, because this is just city business. And he said, absolutely. Now I can have Aaron call you. Mm -hmm. Instead of a thin red line, it's a thick black line. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good good thing. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you have to be, while you've been campaigning for mayor, you have to kind of separate that in a way from being on the council. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the experience of being the council member is implicit in 
into every campaign conversation I have. And I think that's what I'm uniquely bringing to this race mm. is hands-on, real-life experience. You can look at my record. You can see what I've done. You can see how I work with others. You can see that as a council member, I know how to disagree with the council and keep working together. And every one of my council peers encouraged me to run for mayor. I think that tells the voters something. It does indeed. Did Stan, was Stan still on the council? Did he encourage you? <laughs> no. no. Stan hasn't been on for years. Oh, I thought he still he'd been recently. Chris Wharton has been on this uh, second year. Uh, you, uh, what do you just give, give me a just a brief overall assessment of the other candidates? I mean, we're <laughs> we're lucky, you know, to have those. And again, I have to apologize to uh, Rainier Huck and um, Mr. Goldberger. Goldberger, I I don't know them, and I am not, and I but I'm not including them in this group. Um, but uh, it, it seems as at any one of the six, or any one of the five, or you know, however it works out, any one of you six could be a great mayor. I think there's some great candidates. I think uh, part of the beauty of the two dozen debates and forums we've done is that it shows actually we're quite different in our approach and our skill sets, um, even though our general politics are not necessarily far apart. Salt Lake City's got some great opportunities in front of us. 2030 Olympics are one of those opportunities where we could leverage some huge investment in the city to get more of what we want. Um, but I've been doing this work for six years, and I am so ready to leverage all of my experience and get Salt Lake City farther, get us more of what we need as the capital city. You feel good? The ballots have gone out. Yeah. Do you feel good about uh, you're going to be one of the two on August 13th? I do. I hope so. I've worked everything I can do. I've brought my whole heart to this, and it's really like falling more in love with my city in running for mayor. It's been a wonderful experience, and I'm humbled and honored by all the support. You know, the firefighters, the unions, I'm the union candidate. Um, I've been endorsed, supported. They're knocking doors with me. It's that a, is nice. It's a great experience, mm -hmm. yeah. And now your son is sitting here. Yes. I'm just going to say, uh, you can just nod or shake your head. Do you, do you like the idea of your mother running for mayor, and are you... You're, you're, <laughs> He's giving you a up. Nixon-like yeah. double well, that, thumb. That was, it was kind of, yes, I'm Richard Nixon and the thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, he's, you know, he wishes we wouldn't have said that. He's doing the big kiss now, too. <laughs> uh, uh, just one final question. Uh, I've asked this of everybody, and it was a question suggested by uh, a woman who spoke to Jim DeBacchus in a grocery store, and she said, people always ask you guys all the same questions. Somebody should ask you this question. And I thought it was a good question. Uh, Donald Trump is uh, going to come to Salt Lake City, let's say, for a campaign event or some other bit of business. And you are the mayor of Salt Lake. Um, what is your? Uh, what would you do? Would you go greet him as his protocol at the airport? Uh, would you stay away and just not do anything, or would you organize a protest against his visit to Salt Lake? I think it would be a, a slight iteration of your third option. And instead of a protest, I think I would go a positive route and organize a rally at City Hall on Washington Square in support of all of the values of immigration, of a safe place for everyone, of LGBTQ acceptance, of the loving community that Salt Lake City is, and we would have a big ass party. <laughs> I like the idea. Uh, Aaron Mendenhall, the best of luck. Uh, we'll, we'll look for you on the 13th and hope we you, see your face there. Thank it's always you. a pleasure. I hope to earn your vote. Well, you know, I really, I, I'll be very honest with you, I have not completely decided. 
Well, well my uh, campaign volunteers will be calling you at your home okay. later this evening. Yeah, and I'm sure you they know right where I am because everybody, for some reason, everybody in town knows where I live, and that should not be the case, but they do. <laughs> that's not right. No, it's not. Uh, that's it. Thanks so much, and thanks for wrapping it up with us. It's great to see you. What a pleasure. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Cash waves. Okay, so I was I wasn't going to say his name just in case, but Cash, it's okay. All right, Cash, and uh, that's it for uh, uh, the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, I want to thank all the people here at the Daily 222 South Main Street. Uh, I had the avocado toast today, by the way. Man, was it good. I'll oh. go there next. Oh, oh, it was great. <laughs> uh, so uh, come to the Daily Breakfast and Lunch, uh, brunch on su- Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Ryan Louder and the crew and uh, Dickie, the manager. And I think thanks, oh, Dick Clark for producing the show. I think I've got it all. The Let's Go Eat show is a production of Broadway Media. I'm Bill Allred. Remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. Make mine a double.